0: Welcome back to this one podcast, I'm Taylor. And I'm Bailey. And Bailey, before we start today, I just want to tell you something.
1: What do you have for me today, Taylor?
0: I want you to choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family, choose a fucking big television, choose washing machines, cars, compact disc players, and electrical tin openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol, and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Treat, choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suit on higher purchase and a range of fucking fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows Stuffing fucking junk food in your mouth. Choose rotting away at the end of it all. Pissing your last in a miserable home. Nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish, fucked up brats you spawned to replace yourself. Choose your future. Choose life. But why would I want to do a thing like that? I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you've got a podcast?
1: Is that how that quote actually ends? because it sounds like it should have should have been something a little different.
0: What what, what do you mean? What do, what do you mean a little different?
1: I just don't think it was about a podcast.
0: Okay. Well, what was it about if it wasn't about a podcast? What the fuck was it about? It's about choosing life, bro. Oh, I thought it was about choosing heroin.
1: Oh. If the movie is train spotting, that would be the case.
0: Oh, that uh 1996 movie directed by my boy Danny Boyle.
1: I mean, I don't know if he's your boy, but yes, that is the movie I'm referring to.
0: I mean, I don't know. I would say that John Hodge is my boy, but he's not. He wrote the screenplay, and it was based off the novel by Irvin Welsh, who is definitely not my boy because I didn't even know he was a thing until we started researching this.
1: Well, I mean, I'm in the same boat with you. I also wasn't aware that this was also based off a novel like a majority of the movies we've recently done. Yeah, why is that? It's just happenstance. It's the way it kind of plays out. But this movie is also starring Ewan McGregor and Ewan Brimner.
0: Brimner. I think that's how you say that. I don't know. We um, here at Two Idiots One Podcast don't know how to say things that are not English.
1: Even if they are English, we mess it up more often than not.
0: That's like Scottish.
1: Right. But what I'm saying is even if it wasn't Scottish, we would still be fucking it up because we're two idiots with a
0: podcast. Oh, uh, I see what you say. Sorry, I'm not smart enough to comprehend what you say sometimes.
1: So, if you had to do a spoiler-free summary for this movie, Taylor, what would you what would you say?
0: If I had to do a um, spoiler-free summary of this, how do I do that? There is a dude named Renton. Renton. Renton? Renton. That's like the southern way of saying it. Renton. Sorry. Rent boy. M- Mark Renton, played by Ewan McGregor, who lives his life as a heroin junkie. Heroin is his life. That's why in that quote I said, you know, he chooses he chooses heroin over life. But one day he wakes up and decides that he needs to quit. But the only problem is it's really hard to quit something when you are drawn to the lifestyle and the people around you. So essentially, Trainspotting is about the struggles of one character trying to quit heroin when everybody else around him is constantly on heroin.
1: I mean, I definitely understand what you're saying. However, I feel like it's more of like a cut into the slice of life of junkies, kind of like how Requiem for a Dream was.
0: Uh, we're giving a spoiler-free review, buddy. We're not talking about it. Well, no.
1: I mean, like, that's. I mean, yeah. No, you're right. I haven't said anything that's spoilery, though. Y-
0: yeah, but this is your. No, you're you're correct.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: Okay, this is why we don't have you do this. So on a scale from one to five, what would you give this bad boy? Uh, fuck, I don't know. Uh so I've seen this movie three times now. Okay. Every time I watch it, it does get slightly better. I would say that it's probably a four. Maybe a four point five, but definitely definitely a solid four out of five. It is a it's a fun and enjoyable movie that has very dark elements to it. But it's also super funny at times. and really allows you to embrace your goofy side.
1: Absolutely. I think the embracement of the goofy side is something that this movie does really well.
0: So because of you think that, what do you think it would be on a scale from 1 to 5?
1: So I think a 4 is a really fair score. And I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to give it a 4.5. But that's simply because the movie made me feel a lot. It had really good scenes. It was funny. It was dark. It was everything that I look for in a movie. However, it wasn't as impactful as some other movies with similar genres and themes
0: and stuff. Requiem for a Dream.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's a very, very solid example of the movie I'm talking about.
0: This is a lighter version. So you know how you have Budweiser and Bud Light? Budweiser is Requiem for a Dream spotting is Bud Light. Both movies are about drug addiction. One of them is way more fucked up than the other.
1: I mean, I don't know. I think they're both fucked up. There are scenes in both of them that just make me go, oh, bro, what the fuck? But I agree that overall Requiem is a little bit harder to watch than this, even though this does have a specific scene in it that I think gets up there to Requiem level almost. Not quite, but it was very hard for me to watch.
0: And I I think the reason that I gave it a four is because of one word, and that is poo. Poo? Yeah, we'll get into that later, though. But what do you think Roger Ebert gave it? If I had to
1: guess, I would say probably a two on their scale out
0: of four. So Roger Ebert gave it a three out of four. So he, he believes what I believe. <laughs> this is one of the only times that I agree with Roger Ebert and gave it a four out of five. But no, it's, it's a good, solid movie. Like at the, at the core, it's a movie about A dude trying to quit heroin and addiction and how hard it is when you're living that lifestyle and so used to it, especially when you're surrounded by people who are also addicts. Yeah. When an addict is surrounded by an addict and wants to sober up, it's hard. But no, I think think it's a great movie. I would say it's one of those that I don't watch Requiem for a Dream. I've seen this movie more than Requiem for a Dream when because we the, so the first time i watched this i immediately watched it the next day again because i was like holy shit this is the uh, only movie that i called you like 30 minutes into it which we'll we'll talk about that and i was like what the fuck am i watching i watched it again when we had to redo this episode because we fucked it up the first time and i still enjoyed it i still had fun i've seen this movie three times and I don't feel the same way I do about Requiem because I won't watch Requiem willingly for quite a while.
1: I mean, I'll probably watch Requiem again. However, Train Spotting is significantly easier to watch. It's something that I've seen probably four or five times now. It's a movie that it's not hard for me to watch. It's not hard for me to watch again. And I rewatched it again probably two days ago. We recorded this episode originally about two weeks ago. But we had some equipment issues, some hardware issues. We scrapped that audio and are recording it again.
0: And I'm okay with that. I don't. If we had have, uh, fucked up Requiem, I, I probably would have been like, I don't really want to do this episode anymore.
1: I mean, I think that we would have probably been able to... I think I would have been adamant enough that we would have redone Requiem had we messed that one up. You're not wrong. I'm just glad it wasn't something like The Lodge or hell house or something that we watched and we did and we enjoyed but it was eh.
0: i'm not gonna watch it again
1: yeah so i feel like something like that we would have scrapped but i think requiem or train spotting even if this audio is fucked up will probably still make the episode a third time
0: oh yeah well and then we'll also wait 20 years oh you know it'd be really funny what if we waited exactly 20 episodes to do the second one this wasn't it like 20 years
1: I think so. Something like, It might have been... Yeah, no, I think so, because this was 96, and I think T2 was 2016. 2016,
0: 2017? Yeah. Okay, so we will wait exactly 20 episodes, and then we will do T2.
1: Don't hold us to that, because I don't count our episodes.
0: I do. But with that being said, Bailey, roll the spoiler music. That was nice. I feel spoiled. I feel spoiled. Uh, well, how do you want to start this?
1: So, because it's the freshest thing on my mind, I want to start it with the one scene in this that I feel like wouldn't have been out of place in Requiem, and that's Baby Dawn's death.
0: Yeah, this is by far... And this is really where Danny Boyle shines as a director. Obviously, he shines in this whole movie, don't don't get me wrong. That scene is very hard and uncomfortable to watch. It's a It's a tonal shift, because this movie... I feel like it's broken up into three parts. The first act is the junkie act. The second act is the cleansing act, I guess
1: like seeing the light of seeing the error of your ways and
0: the transition. Yeah. That's probably a better word to call it. The, so the second act is the transition and then the third act is the redemption. And in the first act, baby Dawn's death is a real thing that happens. Because like there have been documented cases of child neglect and stuff. It doesn't make it any easier to watch. And the fact that he just hovers on this dead infant is traumatizing, but necessary, I believe, at the same time. To really show you the extent of these people prioritized getting high off of heroin over taking care of their baby.
1: No, exactly. I think you're entirely right when it's showing their priorities. I think that it's probably the hardest scene to watch in this. It does take part during the first like third of the movie, but I think that this scene is actually part of the transition into Renton deciding to get clean because he doesn't specifically say anything immediately after this scene about getting clean. But because of everyone's facial expressions and because of the clear impact it has on Sick Boy, which is the father of baby Dawn, Which that's
0: a very good line. Yeah. Where uh, he talks about not knowing who the father is and then Sick Boy is the one that goes, fucking say something. Yeah. And he immediately goes, well, now we know who the father is at least.
1: I think that the scene is part of the transition from act one, the junkie phase, into you know, getting clean, the transition into sobriety and into him moving away to start working on himself.
0: I disagree. Okay. I think that the scene was the catalyst for the transition for Sick Boy because the scene is responsible for him becoming a drug-dealing pimp at the end of the movie. Yeah. Before this, Mother Superior, he had gone to Mother Superior quite a few times and even said within the first 15 minutes I think of the movie where he goes up to mother superior and says uh this is it this is my last time I'm not getting high he says that repeatedly throughout the movie and still continues to do it I think that the decision was always there before all of this and the only way like I don't I think his parents it forced him to get clean, but if you want to talk about the true transition, it would be when he ODs. Baby Don's death affected him, but he immediately gets high afterwards, right? Yeah, like he he immediately starts boiling heroin and then sh- shooting up. Right, that's how he deals with it. That's how the mother deals with it. And after the OD, he doesn't immediately go to heroin. Obviously, he craves it and wants it because he's in physical pain. He doesn't immediately go to it and use it as a crutch. He kind of, in that scene, when his parents are in the back of the taxi with him, seems ashamed. And he even refuses the cigarette. Like, his mom tries to offer him a cigarette. And I would argue that for Renton's character, that is the moment where he was like, maybe I need to stop doing this shit. And then the true transition is when his parents lock him in the room and say, you're you're getting clean.
1: Yeah, sorry, sucks to suck laying here with the train wallpaper and get sober.
0: Yeah, because you can't go to the clinic because you even said it makes you worse.
1: Yeah, the methadone was causing him to fiend more because it was enough to get him like going, but not enough to get him off. Yeah. And I think that's almost exactly how he worded it, too.
0: Right, and he, he says that that's it, but I, I would argue that that's the catalyst. I don't think you're wrong in saying that this was the catalyst because it is for sick boy. Because Sick Boy is not the same. Yeah.
1: It really darkens Sick Boy's character. Whereas at the beginning he was trying to have fun and just doing his thing. Even the scene where he and uh, Renton are shooting the air gun at the dog. They're doing bad stuff, but they're doing it in like a playful way. They are legitimately trying to cause terror. And
0: and, and he makes it abundantly clear it within this, again, Danny Boyle of him directing. Because when he's looking through the scope, he points it at the dude's head and makes it a clear indication of I can shoot you in the head, but I'm going to shoot the dog in the butt. And the dog's going to attack you, but I'm not going to shoot you in the eye and cause you to lose an eye.
1: Right, because it's fun. They're doing it to be fun, to be playful. But afterwards, like after Baby Dawn's death, Sick Boy's character takes a darker turn, and that's when he starts, you know, pimping women and becoming, you know, a prostitute lord and stuff.
0: Right prostitute lord
1: yeah that's a phraseology i just invented
0: i mean i think you could have done pimp but yeah prostitute lord they both handle grief in different ways one character that stays the same throughout the whole movie is begbie hear me out
1: i mean no i i agree that's just not the one i was thought you were going to say because i think there's another that stays pretty similar throughout
0: yeah, and I, I think I know which one you're talking about, and I have my arguments for that one. But the reason I say Begbie stays the same is because he's just a fucking psychopath. Oh, yeah. And Begbie's character is super interesting because he he drinks, he smokes, but he doesn't do any drugs. I think in the movie, Renton says, um, Begbie gets high off of people. And the scene that encapsulates this is when he throws his whiskey glass behind him. And it smashes on a girl's head below them since they're on a um, balcony area. And he just tosses it without looking, smashes it on the head, walks downstairs and says, nobody's leaving until we figure out who the fuck did that. And then gets into this massive brawl. Oh, yeah. Because that's what he does. And he's always like that. Throughout the movie, I think he lets his true color shine and doesn't hide it as much. Oh, yeah. No, he's
1: straight chaotic evil or chaotic neutral, at least.
0: No, he's chaotic evil. Because I, I think I think it's there, he just doesn't show it as much. But by the end of the movie, when he's you know stabbing people and has no remorse at all, because what does he do? Stab Spud.
1: He cuts it. It's not saying he stabs Spud makes it sound like he was like, "Hey Spud, fuck you, stab, stab," and he wasn't like, "Hey Spud, fuck you, stab, stab." He pulled out his knife aggressively and happened to cut Spud. It wasn't like a "fuck you, Spud." It was like a. Like, oh, I'm going to wave my knife around like a madman. Don't stand in my way. oh you were standing in my way.
0: And then he accidentally cuts I mean, his hand.
1: I don't know if I would use the word accidental because he was waving the knife like a madman.
0: Saying, who does anybody want to fuck with me?
1: Yeah. So it's not, I don't think that was anybody's fault. I think it was a little bit of Spud's fault for being in his fucking way and a little bit of his fault for being psychotic.
0: Okay. So oh. with that being said, who would you argue is the other character that stays the same?
1: I don't think Spud really changes, but I think that's intentional because I don't think Spud is supposed to be intelligent. I think he's supposed to be the cool, like, he's fun to hang out with, but he's kind of dumb. He's your, like, simple friend you hang out with, which isn't me trying to be insulting. I think that's literally how his character was supposed to be written because he's a good guy. Like, he's a junkie for sure, but he's not a bad guy. He doesn't plan to hurt anybody, and even Renton talks about him being a little bit stupid, and being, you know, kind, kind-hearted, but dumb, easily manipulated, easy to get to do like dumb shit. And I don't think he has a lot of character development throughout the movie. But I think that's intentional to show that he's, you know, a passive, submissive friend.
0: And I completely agree. I think that Spud's character is, and it, like, first of all, his name is Spud.
1: Yes, Spud. Is that not what I was calling him?
0: No, no. I mean, well, what I'm saying is like his name is Spud. Yeah, everybody so he's a else. Potato. Right. Everybody else has, you know, Mark Renton's name is written.
1: Well, his name isn't actually Spud.
0: Well, no, no, no but that's what, but what I'm saying is that's what they call him. Yeah. He's like,
1: called by his actual name like once, I think.
0: And it's very brief because even if you look him up on IMDb, he's listed as Spud. But what I'm saying is Begbie.
1: Daniel is, Murphy is the character's name. Right.
0: Because, you know, Mark Renton is Renton. Begbie is Begbie. Tommy is Tommy. Tommy sick boy is sick boy i mean (laughs) i really don't know why they call him that because he's crazy bro no no begby's crazy and then spud is spud and i think that be like they they make fun of him by calling him spud that's the that's his nickname everybody calls him by that i think his mother calls him is by his name and is this the only person that calls him i think so but everybody else refers to him as spud except for when he's in the interview but that doesn't count and to me, that just shows that his character was written as the village idiot. Yeah, no. Th- like so what you're saying.
1: I'm so glad you found that term because I was trying to find it. I didn't have it. That's I couldn't find the word.
0: And like it's it's fucked up, but every friend group does have the one that you rag on more than anybody else.
1: Yeah, for being the dipshit.
0: Yeah, well, y- thank you. You're, you have the dipshit friend. You have the psycho friend that at any moment could, you know, do something.
1: Yeah, keep things interesting. I've been in friend groups before where I was the stupid friend. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's not me trying to be insulting. It's just that's that's life. Like if you're in a friend group right now that you consider yourself a part of the friend group and you don't think any of them are stupid. It's you, buddy. I'm sorry. But Taylor just said it. It might you might be the one because they always exist and everyone knows except the person who it is and they don't find out until afterwards. And if
0: you can look at your friend group and go, man, nobody's fucking crazy. Congratulations. It might that. be you. No, it is you, you psychopath. <laughs> but no, I think that every friend group has that. And and Spud is the most pure character in the whole movie.
1: Oh, yeah. No, he's not a bad dude. Even when he's doing bad things, he's not doing it because he's a bad guy. He's doing it because he's dumb, and that's what his friends are telling him to do.
0: Well, in a great example, of that's the end of the movie, when Sick Boy and Begbie are trying to get Renton to give him the, 20, the 2,000 pounds. And he tells him, no, I don't want to go to prison. And then looks at Spud and says, you've been to prison. Why do you want to do this? And his response was, I just want the money. Like, he doesn't think about it. He's blinded by the fact that this drug deal could turn into a lot of money because that's what his two friends have told him. And he's willing to just go along with it. He doesn't think about the consequences or anything. And even when we see him with um, Diane's character, he is on the sidewalk kind of laying his head on the sidewalk in the road between two cars drunk and high at the same time maybe who knows he's mumbling something yeah. i think she thinks he's drunk but could be anything
1: i i don't want it to sound like we're completely kidding on spud's character because taylor said he was compl- he was probably the purest character i said i don't think he's a bad dude but I also don't think he's—I think he's probably more intelligent than we're giving him credit for because he was able to find the money at the end of the movie. And as far as we can tell, based on what we're shown, he was able to get the money without anyone else knowing he got it, like Sick Boy or Bagby.
0: Be- Begby.
1: Bagby. 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 Yeah. He was able to get the money out of the locker without either of them presumably knowing. So he could be more intelligent than we give him credit for because he was able to read Ritten's look of, hey, I'm going to hook you up with some money and the fucking locker just shut up. Don't tell him.
0: And that's the other thing, because at that moment, and this is kind of what proves that Spud is the purest character in the whole movie, Ritten's okay. He knows what he did was fucked up. And he even says, you know, they would have done the same thing to me, but I know that I'm a bad person for doing this. And when he takes a look around, he looks at Begbie. He's asleep. Looks at Sick Boy. He's asleep. Looks at Spud. They lock eyes, and Spud shakes his head. Looks terrified. Yeah, he's like almost shaking, you know, shaking his head really quickly, being like, don't, please. I'm trying to plead with him without saying words to not do this.
1: Because he doesn't want to wake up Bigby. When
0: Bigby wakes up, he, uh, you know, gets arrested.
1: Well, he wakes up and then there's a nice scene that's like the corner of the room. It's like a security camera shot almost of him just trashing the room, screaming, yelling, tossing shit. It's like those great freak out videos on YouTube from 2006.
0: Oh, shit, it is.
1: Like the kid who got his wow account deleted or whatever and shoved the remote up his ass. You remember that? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. That video is hilarious. Every time I think about that, I get myself a case of the giggles. I'm just going to edit it out.
0: My, my first one is the angry German kid. <laughs> you remember him? I think so. Where he would just be playing a game, die, and then smash his fucking keyboard into smithereens.
1: I don't know if I've seen that one specifically, but I've seen lots of videos of, like, children smashing their keyboards or, like, teenagers smashing their keyboards or you know, punching through their monitor, throwing their controller through their TV. And yeah. I'm just like, I can't believe my parents complained about me yelling about <laughs> losing on a video game and stomping my feet sometimes. At least I'm not kicking holes in my TV and stuff, folks.
0: And that's what begbie does.
1: Yeah, no, that's 100% what he would do. He's the 12-year-olds that you're playing Call of Duty with, and they're screaming the whole time.
0: Yeah, although, like, in a grown adult form. And also, he was... Uh, well,
1: he never grew out of it. He's those kids if they don't grow up.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're one 100% correct. And Sick Boy is a bad person. Yeah. Big B is a bad person. Renton's a bad person. Diane's a bad person. I mean, she's
1: a kid. She's just manipulative as far as we can tell. She might grow up to be a decent individual.
0: I mean, we'll have to watch Transpotting, too. <laughs> You've seen it, so you know I haven't, which is funny. Uh, I need to watch that. Yeah, but in no, 20 episodes. In tw- I'm going to buy it because I have the other one.
1: But I'm glad you brought up Diane's character because this talks about a whole other aspect of like depravity that we haven't even mentioned uh, in this movie, which is unintentional statutory rape.
0: And that was when... That was a scene It's like 30 minutes and 29 seconds, I think is what it is, into the movie, is when I paused and called you and said, what the fuck am I watching? And it is...
1: It unintentional statutory rape
0: that comes out of left field totally so
1: to set the scene for anyone who may not have seen this movie or has seen it many many years ago and doesn't remember specifically the scene we're talking about so renton goes to the bar his libido has been increased because he's not doing the heroin thing anymore and he's pooped yeah which we have to talk about the shit scene as well but oh, i'm not going we'll to talk about that until after this
0: we'll talk about both of them so
1: written's like i'm gonna go to a bar and he meets this lady there and she's you know kind of standoffish from the other dudes hitting on her you can see a guy hit on her and she's just like nah fuck you i'm super cool and naturally written sees that and he's like oh i'm attracted to this flavor of woman
0: well hold on you gotta give her more credit than that because she does the most Badass fuck you thing I've ever seen when this guy comes over and is like hitting on her as she's walking out and has two drinks. And he like smiles at her and she smiles at him, grabs a drink, downs it, and then grabs the other one and downs it and walks away. Like, fuck you.
1: So she's just super cool. Yeah. And it makes Ritten attracted to her. So he follows her outside of the bar. She's trying to get into a taxi. He's trying to converse with her. And she's like, nah, dude, fuck off. And then he goes and sits down and she calls him to the taxi. And he goes back to her place with her. So she's at a bar. He's drinking. Or she sees he sees her drinking. And then they go back to her place and attack. So he's under the impression she's like a grown-ass adult. So they go up to her room and have sex. We don't see it yeah, in any do. graphic way. Yeah, you do. In a graphic way?
0: You... In a graphic way? Dog. Did you watch the same scene I did? In a graphic way? You watch her ride him like you don't see anything yeah, if, you you s- if
1: you don't see penetration it's not graphic
0: i mean i saw you and mcgregor's penis after this that's not penetration but I-
1: <laughs> so the sex scene itself isn't super graphic you don't see any cocks or any vaginas or anything that you you know you can't see
0: going to the beach there's like three going on at the same time <laughs>
1: but But you can't see anything you don't see going to the beach. And afterwards, you know, he goes and sleeps on the couch out in the hall because she's being weird. He doesn't think anything of it. And the next morning he wakes up, he goes downstairs and hangs out with their flatmates who turn out to be her parents. And when he's like, yo, bro, listen, you're a minor. We can't do this anymore. She's like, oh, I'll turn you into the police if you stop seeing me. So yeah, that's how the unintentional statutory rape scene plays out.
0: And when he sits down and goes, oh, are you Diane's flatmates? And she says, she laughs and says, flatmates, I'll remember that one. And they turn and look at her and she's wearing a school uniform. As soon as the next scene popped up, I paused it at three minutes and 29 seconds and called you. I was like, oh my fucking God. Because baby Dawn had died. And I was like, oh, that's fucked up. That happened. And I was like,
1: what am I watching?
0: But see, the best hadn't come because immediately following that, we get old Spud McKenzie, and I'm going to talk about this one.
1: <laughs> okay, you talk about this one, and then we'll go to the worst toilet in Scotland. In
0: Scotland. Okay, so this one is the second poop scene, uh, but basically what happens is Spud is there too, and he's with his girlfriend, whose name is not important at all. None of these people are important.
1: Not important, or you don't remember
0: it? I don't remember what it is.
1: Same thing. Continue. Yeah.
0: Let me see Let's see if I wrote it down. Was it Allison? Allison
1: was baby Dawn's
0: mom. Gail, then. It was Gail. She's going to fuck him. She goes on this monologue with Lizzie in the bathroom about how she's basically withholding sex and wants to fuck him, but it's funny to watch him squirm. And he's coming off of heroin. He gets incredibly fucked up to the point where she's half naked on top of him Ready to have sex with him. And then he like is passed out with his eyes rolling in the back of his head. So she looks at his wiener and laughs.
1: Cold-blooded.
0: She goes, oh, I'm not missing much. And then puts him in bed. And he wakes up the next morning. And he doesn't know where he's at because it's a small bed. And you you see a spot by his crotch. So you're like, oh, he pissed himself. And then he pulls his hand out and has poop everywhere. So he has... Shit the bed, which was what Sid Haig wrote on my dad's picture of him when we met him before he died, rest his soul. And he tries to cover it up by stripping the bed real quick, and then he opens the door and walks in on them eating breakfast. And they're eating fucking pork and beans, which I thought was hilarious. But the uh, her mom is like, oh, well, I'll take care of the sheets. And he's immediately, no, no, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And she says, they're my sheets, I insist. So then they start fighting over it. And at some point, the sheets become unraveled. And poo flies over everybody, all over the walls, over the table, everywhere. It's very obvious that it's like chocolate, but it's still disgusting.
1: It's hilarious. I love it.
0: I hate that scene.
1: <laughs> it's not as good as The Worst Toilet in Scotland.
0: This one was worse. That one, I was like, oh my god, what the fuck? The Worst Toilet in Scotland, I watched and kind of gagged a little bit. I was like, that's nasty.
1: See, I don't know. I thought it felt almost surreal, especially when he like gets in there and it's all like blue, pretty water. And when he comes out, it's just like he's wet but clean.
0: And that's, that's fine. It's the initial part before. It looks so funny. It looks disgusting because you see like little pieces of poop on it. Like we're going into like really graphic detail with but this. But you know but it's
1: chocolate. It's a It doesn't matter. It's known. It is known.
0: Okay, when I watch uh, the 120 Days of Sodom, I know exactly what they're eating. What are they eating? They're eating fucking marshmallow with a shit ton of salt that has been dyed brown to look like poop. Like, I know what they're eating.
1: Wait, really? Yeah. That movie is so much easier to watch now.
0: But they, well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, none of the other shit is in that movie. You're like, oh. But they didn't tell the actors. So, fun fact, they didn't tell the actors that uh, they put salt in it. They thought that it was a nice marshmallow treat, so they were genuinely excited to eat it. And then when they bit into it, their facial reactions are real (laughs) because they spiked it. (laughs) And they didn't want to eat it after that. Um, but no, like I, I know what it is. It doesn't make it any easier when he's digging around in the toilet because he put, um,
1: suppository op- or opium suppositories to help him come down off the heroin easier in his rectum because they're suppository.
0: Well, and he also says, what good are these going to do? I better just shove them up my ass, which I thought was funny because they're suppository. i so you're supposed to do it. It doesn't matter. But yeah, he forgets about it because once you come off heroin, you're no longer constipated. So he has to go to the worst toilet in Scotland and shits. And somewhere in there realizes that he has shit out the suppositories. And because they're suppositories and he's coming off of heroin, he digs around in his poo to find them. Yeah, he does. And he's gagging. It's disgusting. I'm gagging. It's disgusting. And then I'm
1: laughing. It's hilarious. My roommate is sitting next to me gagging because he thinks it's disgusting. And I'm giggling like a madman.
0: And then he goes a little too far. He digs a little too deep. Are you talking about when he starts
1: swimming in it?
0: Yeah, he like goes down into the toilet. Dude, that shit is surreal and amazing. I love that scene. That scene is fine. It was getting
1: to it. Well, no, getting to it is what makes it so powerful and so like surreal and like fun. Because it goes from this horrible, horrible bathroom where the walls are like brown and covered in like you know, shit and other gross stuff. The seats of the toilets are, like, broken or missing. All the stalls are fucked up. All the urinals are fucked up. But then he loses his heroin, and he's digging around. And all of a sudden, he basically falls into the toilet. And he's in this, like, pretty blue ocean scene almost. And it's got really relaxing music. And he's just swimming around, and then he sees this magical little heroin bag. And you can see the joy on his face as he reaches for it because he's finally found it. I thought that scene was done so well because it almost feels like he's clean in the water because water has like a clean cleanliness to it. And from it showing how dirty the water was, but to him finding the heroin. And once he sees it, it's just clear water that he's joyously swimming around in. I think that's awesome. But I could also be stupid and not know what I'm talking about. I just think it was done really well because of. Because of the dichotomy between the shit toilet and the pretty water that he's swimming in.
0: No, um, this is an excellent example of dichotomy. Don't get me wrong. It's a great example of dichotomy. However, the way that it uses it is something else. That's why it's so good. It's a really good scene when he's in the water. And then when he comes out of it, it's like he's being birthed out of the toilet and he's clean. That's he is. that's
1: the important thing about it and that's the important for like the symbol the symbolism that I'm trying to like pull out here. I don't know that it's there, but what I'm trying to reach for him coming out clean after it being so filthy is what's important.
0: It is foreshadowing him getting clean off of heroin. That's what it is. He's going into like I know where you're going with it. And you're right. It's an excellent example of dichotomy. It's an excellent example of foreshadowing. He goes in dirty to the dirty thing, the heroin, which is disgusting. And he comes out of it clean because when he quits using it, it's out of his system. Or, or you could say that he. it's a symbolism of him feeling bad. And he comes out happy and pure and in bliss whenever he finds the heroine, which is him high. using it. Because he's high. Yeah. yeah. You could do it either way. It doesn't doesn't make it any better because he's digging around in a fucking toilet.
1: No, I mean, I'm here for it.
0: Now, I do want to talk. There's one character we haven't talked about. And in my mind, this is the most tragic character in the whole movie. Tommy. Tommy. I mean, Tom. do you, do you not agree with that? Because I think that Tommy is.
1: I mean, I don't know if the most tragic, because I think Baby Dawn is probably more tragic. But out of the like adult main characters, by far. Because he wasn't trying to do it. And then Ritten unintentionally puts a lot of stress on Tommy's relationship.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I, I agree that Baby Dawn would, would be the most tragic thing. But I don't think Baby Dawn was a character. She was a set piece. More than anything. That's fair. Like, when I, when I talk about actual characters, because written unintentionally kills Tommy. Yeah. What happened... I happens, mean, he doesn't give him AIDS. Yes, he does. Let me explain. He unintentionally kills him. What happens is, during all this thing, and it's probably the best use of a sex scene and sports I've ever seen. But right when they're about to have sex, before this... Ritten was over at Tommy's, right? And Tommy's working out, because Tommy doesn't do drugs. He's clean, um, he smokes, and it was kind of funny because Begbie and Tommy are the ones that tell Ritten, like, I would never put that shite in my body while they're, you know, smoking and drinking. Pick your poison, you hypocrite. But he's over here doing his thing, pumping iron, and while he's doing that, Ritten is looking through his massive collection and finds a videotape marked Tommy and Lizzie and realizes they made a sex tape. So what he does is he instinctively grabs the 100 greatest goals of all time and switches the tapes. This is for soccer because we're in Europe.
1: I also just want to throw something out for anyone who's listening to this who doesn't know what we mean by tapes. Before... Movies were on DVDs. They came on these they came in these black boxes that had film in it that was called a tape and you put these in a thing called a VCR.
0: It was a VHS tape and a VCR and then there did was I this say, thing. Did I say something wrong? Well no, because what you didn't do was you weren't kind and you you weren't being kind and rewind. I'm not blockbuster
1: Get their motto right if you're gonna try to make me sound stupid.
0: What is it, Be Kind and Rewind? Be Kind, Rewind. Yeah, that
1: was it. Not Be Kind and Rewind. Why you you in words and don't even know Blockbuster? It's because you're too young. You probably didn't even know what a tape was until I just explained it to you, you motherfucker. No, I'm just playing
0: it. Dude, I'm going to find my fucking 2VHS copy of The Godfather. Fuck you. Oh, uh, anyway. But he switches the tapes. But he switches the tapes. And then right when basically what happens is spud is fixing to get laid Renton is getting laid and lizzie and tommy are about to get laid and it's all happening at the same time and tommy and lizzie are making out fixing to have the do the deed and lizzie goes let's watch it so tommy's like okay cool okie dokie and he you know pulls out the tape puts it in and right like they start getting into it and all of a sudden you just see Tommy look up and have this Oh shit oh shit moment and all you hear is Go right as Rin comes. Yeah. It was it was kind of funny. Um but him and Lizzie have a huge fight. He thinks that he returned the tape accidentally to the video store. They go to the video store and it's not there. Lizzie breaks up with him. And because of that, Tommy goes to talk to Renton. Now, before this, Renton has said that heroin is better than sex. It's like, take the best orgasm you've ever had, multiply it by a thousand, and you're still not there. That's what heroin does to you. And because he has said this, and Tommy is depressed because Lizzie broke up with him, he wants to try heroin. And then he says, you know, I'm an adult. It'll be fine. So Renton reluctantly gives it to him. Like, you're an adult. I'm high. Who cares? And he shoots up for the first time but that starts an addiction. Tommy becomes addicted to the heroin which causes him to use dirty needles. It gives him. Eight. And the worst part is that you can see this transition because before he started doing drugs and this is why I think that he's a great representation of addiction and like the junkie lifestyle. He had a really nice apartment and it, there were the walls were pink. There was color. It was the only place that had color. All of the other apartments and areas that they were in were just trap house shitholes, right? And when Renton gets clean and visits him, there are, what is it, AIDS freak or um, AIDS?
1: There's derogatory like junkie AIDS trash. That's it. Or junkie AIDS infested something. Something along those lines. And there are three different sets of graffiti written on the walls outside of his apartment.
0: Which, when you walk inside, has turned into a shithole. Like, there are, the walls are stained black at this point. It looks like the wallpaper had been ripped off. Everything that he had owned is now gone.
1: Right. That's something that you didn't really mention about his apartment. So not only did it have pink walls and, you know, this and that, but there was stuff in it. There was, like, a wall of movies or Mm of VHS tapes.
0: A soccer ball, a workout bench.
1: Yeah, there was like stuff showing that he had things and had hobbies and stuff and, you know, had a life outside of drugs.
0: And when you go into it, he has the only thing that he has now is a flat soccer ball, a single chair instead of this nice couch, it's like a little foldy chair and a shit stained mattress that is in the middle of the living room that he goes to and clings to. And you can tell that he's sickly. Yeah, you can tell he has AIDS.
1: You can see the sores and stuff all over him and you can see, you know, how much weight he's lost and how his body's degraded degraded. Degraded?
0: Yeah. Degrade degraded, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's sad.
1: No, it's it's unbelievably bleak and depressing.
0: And it's even worse when he dies because of a disease and cat poop. Yeah, uh toxoplasmosis, which I didn't even know was a f-
1: yeah it's a parasite in cat poop but it's not usually a big deal a lot of people have it and never know but if your immune system's super weak because of you know something that damages the immune system like AIDS yeah then it can become significantly more hazardous
0: and like and I think that that's why because he was he was a pure character at the end he wasn't because he blamed Rin which he should i
1: wholeheartedly disagree that he should blame Ritten. like I don't think Ritten should have given his buddy who had never done heroin heroin however I agree with Tommy's statement that he's a grown-ass adult and if he wants to do it he should do it this Mm -hmm. isn't the place for it but I personally think that pretty much anything should be 100% legal as long as it doesn't hurt other people so if someone wanted to do heroin I think they should be allowed to do that. They just shouldn't be allowed to, like, drive afterwards. It should be treated the same way as, like, alcohol. Don't do it in public. Don't do it to the extent that you're putting other people in danger.
0: Oh, so you're saying a 13-year-old can do heroin?
1: I think we should treat it like alcohol with an age limit and oh. regulations and—
0: That don't mean shit.
1: No, I mean, that's fair. But I'm just saying that I think everyone should be free to do whatever they want. Totally not the place for it. But I think Tommy should be totally allowed to do heroin if he wants to. I don't think that's Ritten's
0: fault. I mean, Ritten gave it to him and could have stopped him. And then ultimately it was Ritten's fault. Like Ritten did kill him because he took the VHS tape. Like that's, he unintentionally accidentally kills him.
1: Okay, so saying it's because he took the VHS tape, I can get behind that because Tommy wouldn't have felt depressed enough to think heroin would make him feel better. Had his lady friend not left him and his lady friend likely wouldn't have left him, at least not in that fashion, had Renton not taken the tape. They would have probably still broken up because statistically most relationships fail.
0: Statistically speaking, 55% <laughs> of all marriages will end in divorce.
1: Right. So they would have probably broken up anyway, but it probably wouldn't have been the way it was had Renton not stolen the tape. So I can say that him doing heroin was probably Renton's fault, but Renton didn't kill him. In my opinion, for giving him the heroin, it was for stealing the tape.
0: Yeah, he killed him because <laughs> he gave him the heroin <laughs> from stealing the tapes. Like, thank you for confirming that.
1: No, giving him the heroin it's not the problem. It's stealing the tape, which made him feel the need to do it in the first place.
0: Yeah, he wouldn't have ever had to give it to him. He would have been able
1: to find it anyway. He would have been able to find it elsewhere. This isn't Requiem for a Dream, where a big portion of the plot is them trying to find heroin, and this it's pretty much readily available whenever they want it. Yeah, they got Mother superior. <laughs>
0: So speaking of that, I do want to talk about the one scene that I think is the coolest shot scene in the whole movie.
1: Okay, hit me with it.
0: The OD scene. When Renton and I, I liked the setup for that scene too, where Renton goes to Mother Superior and says, uh, he goes, what will you be having for us? So your regular table? He goes, oh, absolutely. And what's on the menu? Oh, uh, How does he say? Hardcore drugs. Like I'll skip the entree and just go straight to the hardcore drugs. And serves him up heroin after he had taken three doses of methadone, which causes him to sink into the shag carpet. And that scene is beautiful because the rest of the time, when Renton is ODing, the way that it is represented is he has sunk into the shag carpet. And we're looking through basically like a little slit. And the entire time that he is ODing, that is his, his POV is that. Two red shag carpets on the side that he has sunken into. And everything is just going past him and he's not sure what's going on.
1: It's a really interesting perspective for it to have been shot in.
0: And it just looks cool.
1: I think it looks super cool as well.
0: If I had to say my, my favorite shot of the whole movie, OD shot. That's fair. I would imagine you probably
1: know. But if you don't, do you want me to tell you how they did that?
0: Oh, I don't know how they did that. How do you they know do him? it? No, I do, but I was trying to like, oh, okay, make the audience think that you knew something that I didn't know for the first time. So
1: I mean, it's not. I've I'm sure there's been plenty of times I've said things you weren't aware of.
0: I mean, we could have played it off like that, but you've already fucked it up. So well, okay. I do, do you want you want to try it again? I
1: mean, do you want to do it?
0: Do you want to tell them? Well, well, no, because I don't know Bailey.
1: I'm not opposed to them knowing that you know, and I'm just mansplaining to you
0: yeah no i don't know bailey how so they they, the way they did that shot bro
1: was basically is there's a trap door and he's lowered onto the trap door it's like a fall away floor
0: oh that would explain why it looked like he was up significantly higher looking down on him when he first ods yeah huh (laughs) that makes so much sense and here i thought he actually sunk into it I'm sorry I'll quit being an asshole
1: No you're okay I think it's funny
0: No I think that's my favorite shot What's your favorite shot? It's really hard to say
1: but thinking about it right now My favorite shot is probably The spud poop scene (laughs) And that's just because it gave me the giggles
0: My favorite shot's when they uh, Shoot up heroin
1: Yeah, no, my favorite shot is when they've got, like, heroin in the prosthetic arms, and they're, like, shooting heroin into their prosthetic arm.
0: Something about needles, like, I, and that's the other thing that I say. Like, I know how they shoot them. I know how heroin shots are done.
1: I don't. Like, in real life, I have no idea.
0: Oh, I was talking about in movies. Oh, in movies, yeah, through prosthetic arms. Well, no, like, the way they have the mechanism where the plunger... Isn't really a plunger, but holds. I just had the mic, the boomstick. Aha! Army of Darkness. We did that episode. Go check it out. Callback. Yeah. But where the um. Wait, if we're doing callbacks, who's the director of Army of Darkness? Of this movie. Of this movie, Danny Boyle, I think. Right. Yeah. Callback. Oh shit! Are you saying that Danny Boyle did this really awesome movie? Twenty-eight days later. 28 days later with Danny Boyle and Alex Garland. Holy shit. Alex Garland? Ex Machina?
1: Alex Garland? Annihilation?
0: What?
1: I'm sorry. Continue. (laughs) Those are callbacks to previous episodes.
0: If you haven't listened to them, you should check them out. But anyway, like the plunger when, when they push it down goes up and fills it with the liquid that's already there. The blood, quote unquote, since that's how you do heroin. And when they push it in, it's a retractable needle that just goes in on itself. So it looks like it's going into the arm.
1: Then why did they use prosthetic arms for this movie?
0: Fuck if I know. Make it look cooler.
1: Do you think, this is me genuinely asking, I'm not trying to like lead you to something. Do you think that the reason they use prosthetic arms for this movie instead of, or do you think they use prosthetic arms because they didn't have those needles or those syringes?
0: Possibly. I could also see it from like a stylistic point of view where it looks real. That's fair. Because, like, let's take the heroin scene from Pulp Fiction. He's using a retractable needle. Yeah. You can tell that it's not piercing the skin. Yeah. It's kind of hard to tell in this movie because obviously it's a prosthetic arm and you can tell, but it does look a lot more like it's going in. And if you have a prosthetic arm, you can kind of jam a needle in there.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it wouldn't be a problem.
0: Because that's the same thing that they use for uh, nurses when they're training,
1: right? I have no idea. I thought they use pig skin or something, or that might just be tattoo people.
0: Tattoo people use pig skin because it mimics human skin. And then once a nurse trains good enough, they'll use like real people. And if you're one of those brave souls that volunteers for that. (laughs) That's why I don't fucking like needles. Because
1: before people can give you a needle at a hospital, they have to train on a bunch of other people first.
0: No, because every time I've had my blood drawn, and I think the, the moment that it really fucked me up was in college, I was donating blood, and she had to stick my arm, she stuck my arm so many fucking times to try to find the vein that the entire ditch was bruised.
1: Well, it sounds like you might be a little, uh, maybe a little dehydrated then, because my veins pop up really well when I'm hydrated, but if I'm dehydrated, they have to like give it to me between my fingers and shit
0: dude she popped up the one that's not tattooed my non-tattooed arm could not find the fucking vein found it within two tries on the one that's fully sleeved up that's funny no it's not it was fucking horrible and i'm like i hate you but yeah that's why isn't it feel? i don't know when they like dicker i don't know anyway not the point i can't do i would never do heroin because i can't do needles
1: oh no i would be i would be terrified I would be so afraid that I'd be like, oh, what if I miss and accidentally kill myself?
0: Because
1: can't you accidentally like chew air or something into your vein and like die from that? Doesn't it make your heart stop?
0: Yeah, If you, but you can do that with any needle.
1: Right. That's why I would never, that's why I don't use needles. Like I wouldn't, I don't do drugs, obviously. But even if I was to, I wouldn't do anything like that simply because I would be so fucking terrified of accidentally killing myself. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: that's why one of the ways that if you want to, I don't know if I can say this, but one of the easiest ways to murder somebody is just to stab them with a needle, like with a syringe full of air and plunge it into them. Like you can stab them anywhere. It does not matter because once it goes to your bloodstream, if you get air in your bloodstream, if you ever wondered why they flick the needle before they stick it in you, it's to get the air out. No, I knew that. Well, I'm telling our listeners.
1: Uh, I mean, okay. I'm sorry. I yeah. forget you guys are there sometimes.
0: I'm not mansplaining like you, Bailey.
1: Oh no, I mansplain the shit out of stuff to you all the time because I think you're stupid.
0: Oh, I know. I don't, I don't actually
1: think that. I'm just playing.
0: No, I'm in, I'm idiot number one.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm the I'm the dumb one. Yeah,
0: dumbass. But no, that's why they do that. So, anyway, Train Spotting is a excellent movie. Question. Answer.
1: Do you like the drug scenes, like the shooting up scenes from Train Spotting, more, or the shooting up scenes from Requiem more?
0: They're different flavors. Oh, hard facts. An An opinion-based podcast. podcast. (laughs) No, uh, the drug scenes from Requiem feel more like a drug scene in the the sense that it's chaotic, fast-paced, and you're not really sure what's going on. If you really want to see what a drug scene is like, than shooting up heroin and watching a needle go in someone's arm and seeing them draw blood to mix with the heroin and then plunge it back into themselves and the instant ecstasy that they receive after they've, you know, shot the whole thing in them. Train spotting is very fucking good at that. And I think that's why they're on different flavors. It's different styles. If I had to pick, though, I would say, I, I mean,. From a stylistic perspective, Requiem is better. From a pure this-is-how-drugs-are stance, more realistic stance, I guess, training spotting. Does that make sense?
1: It does make sense, but I could see both being super realistic. Obviously, Requiem, oh, you did heroin, you lose your arm. That's a little bit of of a stretch. Or, oh, you did diet pills. Now you've taken so many diet pills that you've given yourself an eating disorder and have to go to a mental hospital. Right. The exact scenarios in Requiem seem a little exaggerated for what the typical experience of a person would be. However, during like the scenes where Jared Leto's character is shooting up with his lady friend and you can see them both like in ecstasy, like the scene where they're laying head to head from each other. To me, I think that that is a scene that shows what or that portrays getting high in a super powerful way. Whereas there are a few scenes in train spotting. The only one I can think of is right after Baby Dawn's death, where I feel like it matches the same level of energy directly related to drug use and feeling better. Or even the scene in Requiem where they're laying in bed fighting about taking another hit of heroin. And then they take the hit, and they're both super stoked on life, whereas they were miserable beforehand. Like I don't know. I think it's done super well in both.
0: Yeah, but I think I, I, again, it's different flavors. Requiem is more of taking drugs to escape pain, where Train Spotting is taking drugs because, because it's your lifestyle, well, because it's fun. You know, like we do this because. It, Fun. I don't want to be sober because it's boring. It's a lot more fun. The world is a better place when I'm high. Like, I'm not sad. I'm not upset. The only time that I'm sad and upset is when I'm not on heroin. And I don't want to be on heroin and I want to be a member of society. But when I'm a member of society and I have to interact with my friends sober, it's annoying. Like, it's two totally different flavors. More realistic is train spotting, I think. But it doesn't make it, it. I mean, Requiem's hard to watch for different reasons. But if you want to talk about the actual drug scenes from like a stylistic perspective, Requiem from an actual. This is drug addiction. This is what drugs are. Train spotting. I don't know. Train spotting is a really good movie, and I can't wait to do Train Spotting too.
1: Yeah, no, they're both super solid. I would know. Well, I meant Requiem and Train Spotting. Train Spotting Two is also super solid, just a different flavor of solid. Like, I don't think you'll like Train Spotting Two as much. Really. The only thing that, because I haven't seen Train Spotting 2 in a few years, the only thing I can distinctly say I know is better is the soundtrack, mm-hmm. which we didn't really talk about the soundtrack for Train Spotting. It's decent, it's just not phenomenal. I think the Requiem soundtrack is better, which I don't mean a to lot. keep comparing the two, but.
0: Well, it's hard not to make the comparison because even when we said this, the reason we wanted to do these back to back is because they're basically the same.
1: Well, I think but not. I think the way it happened was you were like, "We should do Requiem," and I was like, "Oh, if you want to do Requiem, we should do Train Spotting." And you were like, "Wait, why did you associate Train Spotting with Requiem?"
0: And then he said, "Oh, we're doing Train Spotting. Yeah, you just need to watch it. You'll understand."
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly how that conversation happened,
0: which I am glad we did, because uh, Train Spotting is in my top twenty favorite movies of all time. If I had to make a top twenty list, Requiem's in there.
1: With a four, it's in your top 20
0: for training spotting, yeah. Yeah, Requiem's in a two, Requiem's higher, right? But what I'm saying
1: is a four being in your top 20, I would say that my top 20 are probably all fives, but I also be flinging that five a lot easier than you. Yeah,
0: I'm very hard with my scores. Like, I don't know, I can, I would say it's probably in my top 20. Requiem beats it, don't get me wrong, but. You know, Train Spotting is a more fun, enjoyable movie, and that's why it's in my top 20. Because the way that I look at my top 20 list is what movies am I going to go back and revisit? Because uh, you can also get in there. Like, yeah, Requiem had a higher rating than Train Spotting did, in my opinion. I think that it's a better movie, but which one am I going to watch more? Which one am I going to show people? Which one made me go, oh, fuck. Like, I didn't, the first time I watched Requiem, I didn't watch it the next day again. I did with Train Spotting because I enjoyed it. And I look at movies like that, and that's I think in my top twenty.
1: So if that's the case, since this is probably going to be one of the last episodes we release this year, I can. I think we'll probably have like three or four more. Uh,
0: we'll, two, two or three more. Well, we got to do our end of the year bonanza, so Fair. we'll have we'll have one more before our end of the year bonanza. So,
1: then I'm just gonna say it here, then, because I don't think it'll matter. If that's your scoring system, like how soon after watching it did I want to re-watch it, I would say that Barbarian is probably my favorite movie this year, even though I think I liked Pearl more. And the reason I say that is because I've seen Barbarian three times. I've only seen Pearl and X once a piece, or twice a piece. But I've seen Barbarian three times.
0: Okay, I can't wait to do our end-of-the-year bonanza. Well, with that being said, what do you have for Bailey's Babbles?
1: My Bailey's Babble is going to be the comparison between Train Spotting and Requiem, but Uh, we've kind of been doing it throughout.
0: Yeah. So for Taylor Talk today, um, why do you think we treat people differently? So here's what I'm talking. I'm going to give you some examples. Okay. This might get like super deep. I've lost weight. People treat me differently. Women are more receptive to me because I've lost weight. Hold on. Hold on. You're looking at me weird. When... When I watch a group of people get together, I watch people of the same race gravitate towards each other, not intermingle with different races. Like, why do you why do you think that is? Why do you think we treat people differently based off of the way they look? If that makes sense. It does.
1: I don't know. I'm not a sociologist or anything like that. If I had to guess, I would say that it likely has to do with a couple of things, including prejudice for example if you see someone who is overweight you might think they're lazy or maybe they're less intelligent because they aren't smart enough to know that sitting on their couch and drinking a two liter of soda and eating a whole pizza by themselves which is a personal example from my life when I used to do that
0: yeah you fat fuck
1: you know you might think they're less intelligent because they don't know that that's not something they're supposed to do or it could be prejudice. You know, if they were brought up in an area where a majority of the people are all white people or whatever, then they might be m- more comfortable around the race they're more familiar with. Even if they don't necessarily have a dislike or something, it's just uh, not being as comfortable. But I don't know. I'm not a sociologist. That's just my guess. And with like the weight thing, it could be. A lot of things it could be people find you more attractive now and subconsciously it's easier to be nice to people you're attracted to it could be a lot of things it could be so many different things It just depends on the person i think
0: no and i think so too i think there are i think we're predisposed to do certain things i think that it's a natural human thing to gravitate towards people that look like you as opposed to people that don't is that wrong to say
1: I mean, I don't know that it's wrong to say. I just don't think it's true.
0: You don't think it's true?
1: I don't think it's naturally true. I think that it might be the case for most people, but I think it's the case for most people because of inlaid prejudices or where they were raised. Because I feel like if you went somewhere that was even more of a melting pot, like in New York, yeah, I don't think it mattered. I think the reason you're so... E- you're, I think the reason here it's easy to see stuff like that is because of how few groups of people there are that aren't, you know, mostly white or mostly this. For example, when I've gone to bigger cities, I've noticed less of that and more of just everybody's just kind of like hanging out with everybody.
0: So what you're saying is more on a micro level than a macro level? The smaller the community is, the easier it is to do that versus a bigger melting pot, as you say.
1: I think it depends. It could very easily go both ways. And super small communities, the lines separating people are easier to see. And because of that, it's easier to see to see distinctive groups like, oh, this group is wealthy, this group is, you know, less wealthy. This group lives on the wealthy side of town, sends their kids to the wealthy schools. Which, it, that's going into more of, like, class and stuff.
0: Well, no, but, but it's the same thing.
1: Well, exactly. Even class plays into looking at someone and determining whether or not you're going to interact with them or if you're going to smile or if you're going to try to make eye contact or try to avoid eye contact. Because if you go into, like, a bad part of town and you see someone wearing, you know, dirty, beat-up clothes, walking down the same side of the street you are, you're more likely to cut across to the other side of the street than if you see that same person wearing a a $5,000 suit. Well, for me personally, I might go over to the other side if they're wearing a $5,000 suit, especially in Tulsa, because I've seen Tulsa King. Oh, is that good? It's actually really solid. But assuming you don't think they're like a mobster or something, you would be more likely to not be afraid of the person who is better dressed than the person who is less better dressed just because... People are predisposed to think poor people are more violent or more likely to steal from you or more likely to do X, Y, or Z. I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying that's my opinion. I'm just saying that based on, you know, anecdotal evidence from me, that is how a lot factors. of people react. Yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. I think that I don't, I don't know. I hate, I hate that we're having this conversation well, because no, I, I like don't it. want it to sound like I'm saying.
0: No, because what you're saying is that society tells us society is very class based like class is a thing that humans have created that essentially we're we're predisposed to do it because we all think that we're better than everybody else you don't think well i mean
1: no i mean i don't think i'm better than anybody but i'm also my least favorite person so
0: well, but like take it back to the, you know, ancient old ways where you had the hunters and the gatherers and you always had the hunters that were trying to out the other ones that, you know, oh, I'm the best hunter. Look at me. I just, you know, tore this mammoth's head off with my bare hands. You had to use a spear. Fuck you. I think that we're always naturally able to do that. And once you get into society, especially with today.
1: It doesn't matter if you're strong enough to rip a mammoth's head off.
0: Right. And you're stupid if you don't know this. Like, we, even in schools, and this is why I think the school system fails, is because it doesn't teach you skills. It teaches you how to conform. Rick says
1: it better than I could, but school isn't a place for smart people.
2: No.
0: Like, school teaches you how to conform to the world and basically, you know, put it, school sets you up for failure to be in the middle class. Like
1: No, I mean, school sets you up for success depending on what you want to be successful at. If your goal is, can you be given information and then perform a basic task based on the information you were given? Can you be taught the basics of something and then apply that? That's the kind of stuff that school is teaching you. It's teaching you basic like memorization and how to study for a test by memorizing essentially pointless facts about something. It's not teaching you critical thinking, or applicable skills to, like, how to learn better right? It's or how to you, think better.
0: It's teaching you that point A and point B, and you can only go this way.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I agree that we could, we could have a very long conversation about the issues with school systems, especially in the U.S., but right. I, don't, I don't know if this is the place for it, but...
0: Don't worry, we're going to make a separate (laughs) podcast called Hard Facts, an opinion-based podcast, where we're just going to talk about this shit, get into some deep philosophical things.
1: And probably immediately, accidentally say something we shouldn't say, and And then feel bad.
0: And if we offended you today, we're sorry.
1: No, I mean, legitimately speaking, if any of our comments regarding drug use or, you know, poor people or wealthy people or anything like that offended you, i assure you at least from me i meant nothing ill will towards anybody i love everybody equally and i just you know i'm not trying to be mean i'm you no know, i'm just saying how i feel
0: yeah and i don't give a fuck so. No, i
1: know you don't i just i don't want people to think i'm a dick
0: oh no i mean <laughs> i don't know out of the two i'm really interested who's who's the bigger dick like if when people listen to this who do they think's the bigger dick between me and you
1: they probably think i am simply because When you do something wrong, I'm immediately like, oh, fucking dipshit, Taylor, you stupid piece of shit. And when I do something wrong, you're just like, oh, it's okay, Bailey, don't need to worry. When It's funny because in real life, when someone I don't know does something wrong, I'm like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry, it's okay. And Taylor's like, oh, fuck you, you stupid piece of shit. So it's funny that it's opposite in real life for how we react when people, you know, slight us.
0: That's (laughs) not how I react at all. Oh, You're... (laughs) You're way more of the dick for that one.
1: <laughs> it was just a little jokesy. Uh, <laughs> Taylor, Taylor doesn't do that. He's just as nice as me. They're people in real life.
0: I can't believe you did that. <laughs> With that being said, we're going to end the episode now because Bailey has tarnished my reputation.
1: It's all jokes, baby. <laughs> no,
0: nah, it is. We're 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 nice people. And because we're nice people, feel free to reach out to us on social media. You can find us at add uh, 2 It's one podcast I think our Twitter is at... Uh, Two Idiots Underscore One Podcast That's the number two And the number one Okay Our um Twitter name is Two Idiots One Pod I think Two Idiots Yeah it's You I
1: just said our Twitter name was Two Idiots Underscore One
0: Podcast our And then I said our
1: Twitter name is
0: You right. I said our Instagram
1: You said Twitter homie
0: Well we'll have to fucking review the tape. Run it back Run it back Because <laughs> in my mind I said Instagram oh. Um, We have a Facebook page Two Idiots One Podcast We also have a fan page you can interact with. If you're uh, really cool and you want to get into our select group of people of like-minded individuals that talk about movie-related shit, get in our two ideas, one podcast group on Facebook, if that's what you're into. They're called communities now. Oh, I'm sorry. Communities, not Facebook groups. And if you would like to follow our TikTok, you can. There's not really much on there. We don't know how to use it. If you have any suggestions on how to beef up TikTok and make us cool. Let us know.
1: We will probably be adding more videos to TikTok as time progresses. Also, links to all of that is in our link tree. Which is in the description. Yeah, if you just want to click that, if Taylor read the names too fast or accidentally read the wrong name or handle. Or maybe he did it right and I just misheard. Alternatively, you can also send us an email at 2idiots1podcast2022 at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, and alternatively, um, you can text me or call me. That works too. At this a is... at nine one eight eight six four.
1: I'm not cutting it out.
0: You're not gonna cut that out. Yeah, that's my phone number. And give me a call. Let me uh, let me know what's going on in your life. Tell me how much you love the episode, or don't. Anyway, this has been two idiots one podcast. I'm Taylor, and I'm Bailey. And thank you for listening.
1: I hope you have a jolly good evening. Bye-bye.
0: Bye bye. <laughs> bye.